Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Why don't we all start gathering together and we'll have some fun singing.
Good morning. I was outside talking with Lee, and I almost forgot to come in. How's everybody doing? So just a just a couple announcements. Um, the the big one, the really main one, um, is that there is food after the service. <laughs> so there's a fellowship lunch. Uh, it's a taco bar, and everyone is welcome. Everything is provided. Okay, so don't say, well, gee, I didn't know. I didn't bring anything. We don't care. Come on up. That's what it's for. What it's for. Uh, Tuesday night, this Tuesday night, is um, family prayer night, which is um, our, our gathering in the foyer. We'd like to try to get everybody together, and, uh, and we just, we pray. We pray for the church, for people within the church. We pray for the community. We pray for our country. We pray for missionaries. We pray, and uh, that's what God wants us to be doing. He wants us to be a praying church and uh, lifting up our, our praises and our, our requests and uh, just being there and praying um, is, is tremendous, and um, we'd really love to see you there. The EFCA District Conference will be here next weekend, right? May, May 6th through 8th. Two weeks. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry, Shane. Still looking for volunteers to help out with that. So um, there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And May 19th, youth group bonfire night. They're going to burn Craig Meredith's home. No, oh, no, it's just at Craig Meredith's home. I got, okay. It's a fire at Craig Meredith's home. Wow, Okay. No, uh, so big campfire, bonfire, hot dogs, s'mores, yard games, and chillaxing. And I, I understand there's a brand new puppy there too. So uh, there probably be a, a something going on with that. Um, so I think that's all I've got. And um, really glad to see everybody here. And let's worship. Stand with us.
God, let the breath in our lungs be holy, holy, holy of you, God Almighty. Amen. So I'll take a seat. And dismissed, right? Yes, kids are dismissed. Follow your teachers out. Is have one of those mornings where you uh, get to church and realize you left stuff at home? That's how my day started off. Turns out I left the Bible that I normally preach from, so I had to go to my office, and I found one of my old ones with massive print. <laughs> Not all. Some of y'all can read it from here. It's pretty amazing. Things like that in your life get you distracted. Not at all. Sometimes they do for me. Makes it a challenge to stay focused. I uh, I have a, I have an illustration. Uh, actually, it's I'm going to tell myself again. But this is from a long time ago. So if if you guys feel the need to send counseling cards and books, just understand it's from a long time ago. Um, but we're talking about judgment this morning, and y- yay. Uh, God, in, in Jeremiah, he goes, judgment's coming, and you are unrepentant, and you will not change, and so my judgment is coming. And that's part of what we're looking at this morning in the text. And I was thinking in my own life, uh, you know, where have I experienced the consequences of, of bad decisions in my life and had, them, had the consequences catch up? Uh, as many of you know, I like to drive cars. I've always liked to drive cars. Um, uh, in fact, I was building things to drive before I had my driver's license, and uh, we, we used to go and wreck these, the downhill derby things at our house. We would crash those, and we had all kinds of fun. And uh, so that was just a, that was, that's always been part of my life. And uh, for many years as a young man, I had a 1965 Corvair, that was my first car, and I got to drive that thing uh, about a 30-minute drive from where we lived into, into town. And it had all kinds of curvy corners, and it was just a ton of fun for somebody that loves to drive. But I tended to drive too fast. I know some of you guys are really shocked. You're just, you're appalled by that reality. Uh, but I would tend to drive too fast. And so for, for many years, I drove um, too fast and, and took the corners, you know, like I thought I was a race car driver and, and just had a great time. And uh, I never got a ticket. I got pulled over a lot in Battleground, Washington, but that was for taillights not working. I don't know if you know this about Corvairs, but their wiring was a little weak, and so your taillights would go out. So they were always pulling me over on the weekends to see what this dumb kid in this old car was doing in town. But I got a ticket one day, and uh, I'll spare you all the details, but I was driving one of my trucks and, and, and at the time, and I got a ticket for uh, reckless driving. And, and you don't need all the details. The officer was right. I was wrong. And I, thought, I realized at this time, at this $500 ticket, that's a pretty serious deal, uh, that up to that point, I had not received all the tickets that I probably deserved. God had been incredibly gracious with me as a young man growing up. I was an angry young man. 
and, and expressed a lot of my attitudes and a lot of my anger in my car. It was the one spot where, although I could get in trouble, I didn't tend to. Um, back then I could see, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but I can't tell what cop cars are anymore. It really helps in, in metering your behavior on the road when you have no idea what the cars are next to you. Or uh, Anyway, back, I used to be able to tell I thought I could, and so I, I felt pretty safe. But I, I realized that I received a lot of unmerited, unearned un, uh, grace by God as a young man. And there's a lot of cost, a lot of penalties that I could have paid that I should have paid because of how I drove. And um, it's amazing because I think that reflects the grace of God. It reflects his mercy and his kindness to us. But just like what we're going to see in Israel, not just like, this, it, their world's different. What happened, what's happening to Israel is totally different than what happened to Shane Freeze on the side of a road out in Chalachi Prairie, Washington. Similarly, though, I received extensive grace in my life, and yet the consequences of bad behavior, bad decisions that I continued to make caught up with me. And as a gracious God is, as he is, I got a ticket, and it deeply affected my life, and it changed how I drove, and it changed a lot of what has happened in my life since that point. And, and so today I'm grateful for it. At the time, I wasn't. I was surprisingly good at arguing why the officer was wrong and why I should not have received a ticket. I had a whole list of things. I even went and tried in front of a judge to tell him how right I was. Surprisingly, he wasn't shocked by my appearance or my stories. So, as we think about judgment this morning, as we think about God's wrath that he's bringing on Israel, uh, one of the things I, I want uh, to encourage you in is that many of us are experiencing great, the grace of God in our lives repeatedly because he's withholding consequences from us for bad decisions or things that we're doing on a regular basis. And we need to recognize that, but at the same time, we need to also not neglect to realize the faithfulness and justice of God. Because when we choose to continue in sin, there are consequences. When we continue to reject his word, there are consequences. And we're going to see that in Judah's life, the nation of Israel, uh, unfortunately over the next 50 plus chapters, but we're also going to see it this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah? We're going to start in chapter 4. Verse 5, we're not reading all of this. We're going we're gonna to take a couple chapters this morning. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to grab a few passages through here and hopefully be encouraged as we leave, but also deeply challenged, I hope, um, as God has done for me this week. Jeremiah chapter 4, starting in verse 5. <clears throat> Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble. And let us go into the fortified cities, raise a standard toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and a great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. For this put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back. From us. 
We see in the beginning part of Jeremiah 4 that he's reminding us of, remember uh, even last week as we talked about his, his plea to the nation of Judah, repent, turn back. Uh, from from your sinning, and uh, it's very interesting. To, um, as I was talking with uh, some of our guys that I get the privilege of discussing language with and and doing Bible study prep with uh, during the week, uh, the the word repent in in that part of chapter three it literally just means turn, turn. And at one point he says, "Turn from your turning. I'm going to heal you from your turning." Because they would turn from from that sin and then they turn back to it, and they were constantly turning away from the Lord, and then when they get into bad situations, they turn back, and then they turn away. It was, just, it was a constant thing for them. And at one point, he literally says, I'm going to heal you from your turning, from your repenting. I, most of us think of repenting as always good, right, where we turn back to the Lord. Unless, of course, we're walking with the Lord, and then we repent and go the other direction. No bueno. So, as you think about what this means, about this turning, about God calling his nation back from that, we see that in chapter 3, and then as we roll into 4, 5, and 6, he lays out what's coming, that there is consequences, that there's destruction, and the wrath of God is coming upon them, and his judgment is going to happen. And the craziest part is that the nation of Judah actually refuses to repent. Look in Jeremiah chapter 5. Verses uh, 1 through 3. He actually lays out his claim, his, his cause against them again here. It says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, As the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not, <clears throat> do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they, take, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They refuse to repent. In the nation of Judah at this time, he says, go and find me one who does righteous, one who seeks after the Lord, that I may, that I may pardon her. And he says they won't. They refuse to repent. They refuse to take correction. They've made their face harder than a rock. Anybody move rocks around here? If you put a shovel on the ground in this place, you found a rock. I was moving rocks this weekend. And uh, my body recognizes the difference between moving dirt without rocks and moving dirt with rocks. Rocks are a significant challenge. And for the Lord to use this as the illustration of their face, that, that they are so hard-headed that, they, that he illustrates it by using a rock. They will not take correction. They will not repent. Now, here's our tendency, and and I want to encourage us as we go through this process. I know we can think of some people that are just like this. I want to challenge you not to do that today. Although our nation and and many people in our nation are pursuing what we're going to see even in, in uh, some of the New Testament passages we're going to grab at the end. Even though our nation is pursuing wickedness and a departure from God at a rate that I don't remember in my many, many years of being here, it's not, it's, this is not for us to go, oh, that person and that person and that person. Judah is receiving a personal 
call from the Lord, a personal consequence from the Lord. And I believe that part of as we study this and we desire to learn from them, to learn from, from their failures, their mistakes, to learn these truths about how God works, is that we want to respond in a personal way as well. So as you think about this, as we go through the text this morning, I want to encourage you, don't put someone else's name in front of this list. Let's evaluate our own hearts and make sure it's not our name that's in that place. I love what the Lord says in this process. He actually asks the question, how can I pardon them? After laying out all this information, he actually asks this question in chapter 5, uh, verses 7 and 9. Most of what we're going to be in it today is in Jeremiah, so if you leave your hand there in your Bible, you'll probably stay right there. I know it doesn't work like that on your tablet, though, does it? You, if you leave your hand there, it like brings up other screens. So whatever unit, device you're using, we're going to be in Jeremiah uh, 4, 5, and, and 6 primarily. But Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 7 says this, How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? I think when they, you know, when he asks that question, when I'm, I hear some of the, the ways that he describes them as a nation, I think to myself, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? When you think about people that are, that are uh, parading or, or gathering to do wrong, to do sin, you think about the angels of the Lord coming to Lot's house to redeem him and, and the story of Abraham pleading with the Lord, hey, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare him? If there's, if there's 40, right, he goes down this list until he gets down to where, if, if anybody, would you spare him? And, and the Lord says, yeah, I would. And what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? Destroyed. Lot's redeemed. He's taken out because of his relationship. It says, it actually says, because of his relationship with Abraham. Doesn't that remind you of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Lord says, how can I pardon a nation such as this? It would actually go against his character to pardon a nation that that actually responds this way to him. Sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? Jeremiah actually expresses how, how horrible this moment in this time is in Israel when this judgment is coming down on them. This next passage, I, I honestly don't know um, if he's in a vision with the Lord or if this is a, a passage that he's writing later on in, in uh, the account, in the timeline. I don't really know where this one lines up um, in here, so we're going to read it. It's in this account, um, but as you hear some of the text, I think you might, you might understand why there's some question to when this particular passage is written. But look at Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. Uh, the, what I put in my notes is, how bad, how bad is it? Well, Jeremiah explains that to us. Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19 says this, My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain on the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? 
Verse 22, for my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have, not, um, they have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they know not. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was, a, there was no man. And all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid waste and were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. We have this picture of what this destruction looks like. And you see Jeremiah crying out, saying, My anguish, my anguish. He talks about his heart and how desperately he feels the pain of what's happening right now and the turmoil of war. He says he hears the, the crash upon crash, the sound of the trumpet, the, this battle uh, uh, alarm that's coming from this nation that's coming down to actually wipe out and, and, and capture Jerusalem. It's an intense moment. And, and, and this is one of the interesting things. When you see verse 22, it looks like it's a conversation that he's having with the Lord, and the Lord responds to him, and he, and he says, For my people are foolish, they know me not. And then in 23, again, not sure if this is, if, if this is a prophetic moment where he's looking at something in, in the end of time. It, it looks a lot like possibly when Christ returns and, and the earth is destroyed and rebuilt. It could be that, um, but it's it's... The, the one commentary that I read actually believes it's, it's a later writing um, of him actually seeing the destruction of Jerusalem, watching them go into captivity and experiencing that reality. But what I love about it is he uses terms like, like we see in Genesis. When God looks at the earth, it was without form and void. It was empty. There was no light. This is a dramatic moment. It is a terrible, terrible time. For Jeremiah. Doesn't that bother you that he's faithful? And he's going through this? At all? I mean, let's just be honest, right? I'm hoping if I'm faithful that I don't have to live through that kind of stuff. I'm just sharing with my heart with you guys. I don't want to be a Jeremiah. I would love to be able to actually check off a list and go, didn't apply for that job, didn't apply for that job, didn't apply for that job. You know, wouldn't it be awesome? And yet there's a reality of who God is and how he functions in our nation through our church and with his people that we have to come to grips with. And that is that Jeremiah was faithfully following the direction of his God who says he's going to protect him, which he does. But when I read some of the things that he went through and some of the protections that he experienced, I think to myself, ouch. That's painful. He was there hearing and watching this nation come to wipe out Jerusalem, and he was pleading with the people to turn away from that. Don't be like that. Don't, don't continue to reject the Lord. I love that it really hurt Jeremiah. I think it hurt him more than the physical side. I, I believe that when he talks about his heart aching, that the pain that he was feeling was, was not just because he was going to go through hard things, but because he loved Judah and he loved the Lord. And he desired for them to have the good things, the, the stuff that he was 
encouraging them to go and take hold of, that, that fruitful and, and vital relationship with the Lord. I think as I was wrestling through this process and I was, as I was studying this week, I realized that something that hit my heart was Paul talks about some of this kind of stuff about, about this relationship with the Lord and about people choosing to reject God's word and, and choosing to live in sin. And I thought to myself, we should beware lest we follow. We should, we should take account of our own lives lest we follow in, in the steps of God's people from the past. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He describes the, the, the um, immoral, uh, um, ungodly practices of the nation at that time. Those, the pagans that were in idolatry and sexual immorality and greed and lust and swindle. We don't know anything about that, do we, in our culture? And yet when I see... You know, when I see adultery in there, I, I go back to, in fact, we're going to look at it uh, here momentarily in, in uh, the, the Beatitudes of Matthew uh, chapter 5. We're going to go, you can start turning to Matthew chapter 7. But the Lord takes those issues of the law and he applies them to, to our hearts. And he says, if you look at a woman of lust after you've committed adultery, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. He takes it right down to a hard issue and, and, and destroys the whole idea of that we've, if we're pretending a good Christian life, if we put on a good front and nobody knows that there's junk in our hearts, if nobody knows that there's junk in our lives, then we're okay. And he goes, no. It's the Father who knows these things. It's God who searches the heart and he knows how we're living. He knows whether our hearts belong to him or not. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 7. One of the great passages in our, in our text that challenges us in our relationship with the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Nation of Judah, they were saying, as the Lord lives. Remember that in the text? He was, you guys even say, as the Lord lives, but you swear falsely. You, you have the pretense of appearing to be my people. You even, they were even doing sacrifices at that time to the Lord while they were doing sacrifices to other gods. We should beware that we don't follow in their footsteps. And here's, this is the part that I just love. 
In the midst of this, right, in the midst of the weight of the wrath of God, the anger of God, this just, righteous judgment that's coming down on the nation of Judah because of their rebellion, because of their constant rejecting and <laughs> repenting back to false gods. I love in the midst of this, there's still hope. Did you guys see that? There's still hope in this. Look, look at uh, uh, Jeremiah 4.27. He says, for thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. He continues that in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreign, foreigners in a land that is not yours. In the heart of God, there is, there's hope that remains for, for the nation of Israel. There's hope for you and for me in the process of dealing with our junk in our lives. And it's that God is gracious and he's kind and, and he extends his love through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's hope. Any of you guys get up in the morning and you just, you're, you're tired of your junk? Anybody? Thank you. I, get, I, I am so frustrated with myself at times. The other morning I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know why? Because I was an angry troll. You know what I was angry about? Landscaping in my front yard. I didn't bring any pictures because then you guys might actually feel sorry for me and, and get on board with me and think, those were dirty, rotten landscapers. And I don't want to cause you to stumble. I woke up pretty angry. I'm three in the morning, and I can't sleep anymore because my head's running. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm like, oh, Lord, that does not honor you. <sighs> I want you to know when I did talk to the guy, I didn't say any of this or that. Uh, but I'm real. I really wrestle with some of this heart stuff. I don't want to continue to be easily angered. I don't want to continually uh, continue to be selfish to the point where when somebody does something I don't like, I have to. I have to battle this heart in in, in my heart, going ah. I don't like that. I know it doesn't honor the Lord. Yet it's still there. I, I get tired of it at times. I, I desperately want to see the change. And I, I found myself this week as I was wrestling with my own heart thinking, God, thank you for the hope that you give. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the work that Christ did on my behalf. And look at what he does. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two verse twelve. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Isn't that cool? Do you know Jesus that way? 
I guess that's really the challenge for me as I'm as I'm watching the nation of Israel, as I'm watching God show up and 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 bring some of this judgment. When when we look back at the history of of Judah and Israel, God's constantly reminding them, don't forget this is who I am. I'm the God that brought rock or water out of a rock. I'm the God that took the nation and walked them through the desert. I'm the one that provided these things. They walked over dry land through the Red Sea on dry land. God conquered armies for them with them not lifting a hand. There's something spectacular when God's voice thunders and a whole nation goes into chaos and they wipe themselves out for you. That's pretty good battle strategy right there. And God does that a number of times for the nation of Israel. And when you look at them here, you realize they don't know him. They're watching all these things, and they see all of this relationship, and they don't know him. Part of the conviction of my heart is that, is that who we are? Is that who I am? I know God's faithful. Well, at least I tell you I know he's faithful. I'm waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Got to do something about this landscapers. Any of you lose sleep over political or social issues? Anybody lose sleep over medical issues, financial issues, family issues? Heaven help you if you have family issues. Do we know God's faithful? Can we trust him for the difficult Things Can we trust him in the moments when we don't know the answers? Can we trust him in the moments when we're in deep anguish as we see with Jeremiah? Do we see his view on sin the same way he does? Do we recognize uh, the challenges that, that we address or sometimes refuse to address in our own lives? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. A little bit longer passage. This is, um, it's, I love the title in here. It's the new life. It's, it talks about how we're to live. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. i got to tell you, this Bible is really heavy. I need my other one. It's the real, it's the real challenges in life you've got to deal with. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Some of you guys thought that was a marriage verse, didn't you? 
It's not. It's a Christian living verse. It's actually the family of God verse. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know the craziest part about that particular text? It's probably not for anybody else's benefit but mine to deal with that. So I end up being up at 3 o'clock in the morning, not getting any sleep. Hopefully I didn't bother my bride. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's not start confession on that one. But man, what a challenge. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that that is good for building up. Had the have this huge blessing in our neighborhood. We're, we're uh, neighbors with a, this neat Christian couple next to us, and I was uh, commiserating. Okay, I was whining and complaining about my landscaping and the situation that we were in. And um, Sandy, this, our, our sweet neighbor, she looks at me and she goes, I just look at this as opportunities to glorify God more. She's right. She's totally right. But boy, I got to tell you, there's a little bit of flesh in here that goes, I'm going to, I I didn't want truth right then. I wanted somebody else to go, yeah, they're dirt bags. That's funny because they're landscapers. <laughs> just wanted to point that out just in case you didn't catch that one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Brothers and sisters, we we have a serious challenge. If this is what it looks like to be Christ-like, if this is what it looks like to live the new life in, 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 in light of eternity, in light of the work that Christ did, I've got some work to do. Because I'm still gladly at times giving up that space, making a foothold for the enemy. But only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Doesn't Paul have a way of summarizing stuff and just landing it right, right in your chops? What a picture of what, of what it means for you and for me to live as Christ has called us to live. What an example we have in the nation of Judah is they are constantly rejecting God's warnings. They're rejecting the word of the Lord. They're rejecting his, his a caution to return, turn away from this because there's consequences that are coming that are not going to be good. And yet there's hope because he will not bring a full end to them. 
What an amazing God who justly brings His judgment, who justly uh, uh, is going to judge us as well. Christ actually will be our judge, but He's going to sit in judgment of our lives at the end of all of these things. I'm so thrilled that He's the one doing it. And yet at the same time, I think we need to take a real careful look at who we know Him to be. Every time I see men and women in Scripture come into the presence of God, they fall on their faces. It's interesting, I was reading the story of Samson, uh, I think it was last week, and uh, his mom and dad, speaking with the angel of the Lord, and uh, dad was going, yeah, what's the deal? What's going on? Tell that guy to come back. I, I want to talk to him. I mean, he was, a, I'm guessing he was kind of a man's man. He's like, tell that dude to come back. I want to have a conversation with him. And they go through this whole conversation. And at one point, all of a sudden, he realizes it was the angel of the Lord. And he and his wife fall to the ground. And they're like, we're undone. We are going to die because we're in the presence of God. When we look at the wrath and the justice of God, the judgment of God, I believe that that's part of what our response is supposed to be. We're supposed to recognize His grace absolutely. We're supposed to recognize His love and the forgiveness that He extends all of us. But we're also supposed to see Him as the holy Creator God that will judge all of the actions of the earth. There's judgment coming. For everyone. I mean, let's just be honest. As our nation continues to pursue things that are opposite of God's will, that are going the opposite direction, there's going to be a point at which he's going to say, how can I not judge this place? I'm not doing a doom and gloom thing. I'm not prophesying. You know, the only thing I ever get right in prophecy is that I'm going to screw something up this week. But how can he not judge? And brothers and sisters, if we as his, cho- as his people, as His church, if we're rejecting His Word, if we're constantly choosing sin, if we're looking at the things that He puts in Scripture and He says these things should not be in your life and we're, re- we're, we're not acknowledging them, we're not addressing them, how can He not come as a good Father and bring discipline in our lives? We need to be aware that we don't follow. But we don't get lost because there is hope. So what do we get to do? We get to do the good repent, right? Which is turn back to the Lord. Not away, but back to the Lord. We get to exercise 1 John 1, 9 and confess our sins. He says he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we acknowledge and confess our sins. What a privilege. You know. I guess sometimes I don't, I don't realize how great a privilege it is. But think about this. You and I get to confess our sins to him. He already knows them. You don't have to confess them to me. You don't have, you don't have to go and confess them to anybody else. I, I think there's scripture that encourages us to do that. Because if I'm telling you what I'm doing wrong, it makes it a whole lot harder for me to come in here and pretend that everything's together on Sunday morning. You know, that's one of the reasons I share my honest struggles with you guys um, is because 
I really hope that as you and I do life together, that you'll realize that it's actually okay to deal with the stuff that's in your life, that you don't have to come in here and pretend to be something that you're not. And if God can actually deal with me, you guys are all, you guys are good. He can handle you too. That's part of why I share as much personal stuff as I do is so that you hopefully will find the hope and the encouragement to engage in that personal relationship with the Lord as well. But when I share with my brothers the things that I'm struggling with in my life, it's a lot harder for me to show up on Sunday and pretend that I'm holy when I'm, when I'm dealing with junk in my heart. It makes it a lot easier for me to, to, to deal with the stuff that I've tended to hide in the past because now that other people know there's light being shown on it, it's much harder to hide. Isn't it funny how mold and fungus grows? In the dark. A lot like sin. The more we hide it, the more we deny it. I think the more powerful and the stronger and the better it grows. When we begin to put light on it, it goes away. It doesn't go away, but it starts to die. It makes it a lot easier to address those issues. So let's learn from Judah and not follow their footsteps and reject the Lord. I don't know what God's doing in your lives. I don't know what area he might be saying, hey, I'd love to have your attention in this one spot. My list is too big to worry about your list. I've got a few things that I know God's calling on me. And, and he's knocking on the door saying, hey, I'd like you to look at this. I'd like you to deal with this issue. I'm going to give you another opportunity for growth this week. So awesome. Don't you love that when your parents are like, this is going to be good for you? I think God does that for us regularly. And how we, sometimes that's why, that's why we coined the term opportunity for growth, because it sounds better, doesn't it, than just having a bad week? I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I know he's a faithful God who's actively engaged in every single one of his children's lives. Look at how he pursues Judah when they constantly rejected him, when they constantly rebelled against him. And he's still pursuing them. He's still offering them hope while judgment is on the way. Same God that we serve today. So I have no doubt that he's actively engaged in each of our lives. What is he addressing? What is he dealing with in your life? I want to encourage you to embrace that. Open your heart to those things. And if you need to, grab one of the brothers or sisters that we have here in, the, in, in our family here and pull them aside and say, I need some help. I need to share something with you that might make you not want to hang out with me. I really need some help. I want to encourage you to be that family. To be the family that's available to hear stuff that somebody else might think you'd never talk to them after they share that with you. Let's be a family that loves like God does. Remember what Paul said at the end of this, we need to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We go back and remember what he gave us us in forgiveness, and it's much easier to offer that to other people. So as we close in prayer this morning, I want to give you just a moment of silence. And I want you to quietly go to the Lord and just say, God, what is it you're working on me in? Maybe you already know. Maybe this morning this time for you is going to be, Lord, forgive me, because I've been arguing with you about this. Father, forgive me. I've been rejecting you on this issue. 
Maybe this morning you've already dealt with this stuff and you just want to give God praise because you are overwhelmed by His gracious love. I want to give you a moment to do that quietly and then I want to close this in prayer. But I want to challenge you. Do business with God this morning. There's nothing special about this building, just so you guys know. It's old wood. Electrical's barely working. There's nothing holy about being here except for the fact that you are here and God dwells in each and every one of you. So you can do this work at any point in time, at any day, anywhere. But sometimes it's helpful to just take a moment while we're all thinking about it and to do this together. So would you close your heads with me and take just a moment of silence and do that work with the Lord. Did I say close your heads? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't close your heads. We want them listening. Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this family. I thank you for your word. Lord, I confess one of the things that I have a hard time doing is being quiet and listening. Even now, as I'm sitting here with the quiet in my head, I'm going, is that too long? Is that too long? Father, I pray that as we each wrestle with this truth this week, are are we following after Judah? Are we hearing or rejecting uh, your word? Are we looking at truth that's coming from you in Christ and, and still choosing, choosing to walk in our flesh instead of walking, God, in what we know is our new life in you? Father, there may be some of us even here today that have no idea what it even means to walk in new life after you. I pray, Lord, that if that's the case, that you would speak to them, you would get them connected with other body members here that would, that would be able to talk with them about what that means. Father, if there's brothers or sisters here, Lord, that need to confess, I pray that you would lay upon them the conviction of your Spirit, where they would open their hearts to those, those realities of sin. The, the, I'm sure some of them are similar to the stuff you've been working on me this week with. Father, for those in our body who have experienced your joyful hand of discipline and restoration. I pray that you would help them to get connected with those of us that are in the process to encourage us and to lift us up in truth about who you are. Father, I want to know you. Not in a religious way, but in a personal way. I want to know what it means to to fear the Lord. I want to know what it means to submit. I want to know what it means to love you. And God, I need help in obedience. So I pray that as we pursue you, as we seek you this week, that you would respond and and be faithfully present in your children's lives. God, we love you. I want to love you better, but I am so grateful for your love. I am grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for the hope that you give through your word and through the examples that you've given us in in Scripture. 
Help us to be lights this week. Help us to reflect your glory and your grace to all those around us. And I pray that everything and anything that happens, Father, in this place, that you would take all the glory. Whatever you do here, Lord, do it in such a way that only you get the credit and that this little community would recognize that there is a living God active in this place. Thank you, and we give you the praise for all you're doing in your name. Amen. Stand with us.
Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by his grace give us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Amen. Have a good week. Oh, tacos. Taco Tuesday on a Sunday.